0: Ready for Smoke Night Live with Massa Sensei? Never alone.
1: All right, welcome to the show, everybody. It's Friday night. Uh, we've been waiting all week to uh, to get back together on Smoke Night Live. This is episode uh, 282 of Smoke Night Live. I am your host. You can call me Master Sensei. I'm joined by Jordan. Jordan, welcome to the show. Oh, oh I'm muted. i oh, don't, draw.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jordan. You've Sorry already, about that. You've already missed. Produ- producering. Jordan over here.
1: Yeah, so, uh, Jordan, how are you tonight?
0: You know, I'm good. I've got Cigar of the Year coursing through my veins already. Wow. Yeah, energy is electric.
1: We got a uh, small studio audience tonight, uh, Scotty Bray Band and Matt energy in the house. Energy not so electric over there. Everybody, <laughs> uh, normally we have a bigger studio audience, but tonight, Quinn's not here. He had to go pick up some... Uh, some beef in Nebraska or something, something like As that. As those
0: hicks tend to As do. As they do that, those crazy
1: guys. Uh, Jordan, first, I gotta start the show by apologizing. Oh. I gotta apologize to everybody who has been faithfully uh, investing their hard-earned dollars in the stock markets. because I, I've always said like I'm not gonna get involved in the stock market. I'm not gonna get involved in the stock market. I get involved in the stock market, in the stock market instantly. It just <laughs> tanks. It's it's been it's been a complete disaster ever since I
0: decided. See, that just shows your lack of experience. I am a hardened vet, and I know <laughs> that you just ride those waves out, and yeah. you just keep investing even harder as it goes down. You take that to your own advantage. I, I know.
1: I know. You go all in. It does sort of seem like the moment that I got involved. Things sort of went well. Side. You got
0: involved kind of the same time as Biden got involved, but well, I don't know true, if there's yeah. a correlation.
1: That, 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 that could be, that could be. Um, also, hey, Jordan, I got a little salty this week on Twitter. I got a little salty this week on Twitter. You're always really salty, and you know, hey, somebody had made this claim that they that's that this person had invented the very first ever social app for cigar smokers. Sorry, we only beat him by 10 years. <laughs> But uh, I got a little salty. <laughs> it was close. It was and close. So I apologize to anybody if I offended anybody. But hey, you know you got to defend your territory, right? You got to defend your territory. When somebody says something, you got to say, "Hey,
0: yeah, you know, that's especially when it's so well documented. It's I mean, so well documented. Th- right. We we are the c- the cigar app. Come on." Yeah.
1: But uh, lots of folks joining us. I can see on Facebook tonight. Uh, welcome everybody. This is going to be a fantastic episode. Super excited about our guest tonight. He is literally one of the the legends in the industry, especially Jordan. If you're thinking about like the boutique side of things, like this guy essentially. I don't know invented, if there was
0: boutique before this. guy. Right.
1: This is this is the this is the <laughs> the founding father of. Uh, Boutique Cigars. So let's bring him on to the show now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ernesto Perez Carrillo. Ernesto, welcome to Smoke Night Live.
2: Hey, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. uh, You know, I'm a big fan of you guys. Uh, You know, we've we've done this uh, before, uh, but today's, uh, you know, special, you know, it's been a fantastic year for, you know, for myself and my company my family, so... I'm happy you invited me to uh, to be on. You know, Eric? it's it's uh, it's
1: an honor. I mean, that's that's an understatement. Um, that it's been a great year for you, and we were we're gonna really deep take a deep dive into into that uh, the cigar that uh, that won not only the number one cigar on Cigar Aficionado, but also on the Dojo. And we're gonna we're gonna take a, yeah, we're gonna take a deep <laughs> dive into that. But before we get there, Ernesto. I really want yeah. to, you know, we've had a sort of a, seri- a series of guests on in the last four or five months, and they, mm-hmm. you know, with great family stories, and you also have a great family story that led you up to this point, where you are right now, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't cover some of the history that you and your family have in the industry, so let's Let's backtrack uh, all the way back to the beginning uh, with your family and give us let's just sort of go through some of the, um, some of the, you know, the the cornerstone moments, the highlights that have brought you to where you are right now tonight on Smoke Night Live.
2: Well, you know, my, my family, my, my grandfather and his brother used to uh, you know they started back in 1904. My father was born in 1904 and at that time uh, his father and uh, his uncle they used to uh, make uh, penny cigars in the street of Havana and it's it's uh you know it's something that my mother okay there were 12 brothers and my grandfather you know from her part you know he had a tobacco farm in a little town called Montesuelo final del rio so, you know, tobacco is something that's been in the family, you know, it's in Cuba, you know, and, and that's basically what, you know, my, my, the way they survived in Cuba, right, the way they lived. My father uh, started working for an American company called Cuban Land back in 1928, I believe it was, where he would uh, go out and buy tobaccos, uh, you know, from the, from the farmers. And q was like a, not a processor, but like a middle, middleman, I guess you could say, or middle uh, company, whatever you want to call it. And they would sell these tobaccos to the, uh, you know, to the Corona factory, to the H. Shuffman, uh, you know, the different factories in Havana. And that's basically how he got into the tobacco. Uh, and then in 1948, he bought a, uh, a cigar factory called El Credito. And that was really his first cigar factory. And he had that uh, basically to we left in 1959 when, you know, we had to leave the country because during that time, he he uh, became a senator for Pinar del Rio. He was elected in 54 and in 58. And, you know, needless to say, needless to say when, when Castro came in, you know, we had to uh, leave the country.
1: Now, did, did, so, Ca- did Castro uh, did Castro take over the the property that they had and that's why they had to leave
2: um or, well the, the, and i don't want to get too you know too political into this thing but the reason we left was because you know he was uh arrested mm-hmm. a few times and uh needless to say they took you know everything that that the uh that he had done there that we had done there uh we had a farm in san cristoa uh you know he had other farms in uh in Pinat del Río, uh, which, you know, were all confiscated. Right. And uh, so, you know, we had to leave the country. Uh, unfortunately, you know, my father was a, a man of, of uh, a lot of ethics and, uh, you know, he, and, and a lot of vision. I, I think you have to say that, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I'm proud to say that, you know, he never did anything that, uh, uh, well, he was in politics, that anybody that I would be ashamed of, that he would be ashamed of. And, and I don't know if, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. But anyway, so we came to Miami in 1959. Now, how, did you, how did you get that, to Miami?
1: Yeah. What was the process there? Did you have to... Uh...
2: Well, well, the process was, you know, my father came first. You know, in 59, they were still letting people out. Okay. Uh, and he had an opportunity uh, to leave. You know, he has... a. Uh, one of my my you know sisters from half uh, sisters I guess you could say uh, they lived in the states, so he was able to to you know mm-hmm. come out, and then my mother came I think she came like a couple of months later, and and I came and I think it was April of nineteen fifty nine. What do you what and do you what do you remember
1: uh, about that Ernesto that when you came over what are some of the the memories that you have of that and and when you got to America. You know, like, what are some of those first memories of how things were at that time for you just personally?
2: Well, you know, b- before we get there, there's two things that I remember, you know, distinctively, you know, uh, that always stand up in my mind. I remember one time in Cuba, we were in our in our farm down there in San Cristobal. He used to grow a wrapper. He used to grow Candela wrapper in, in, in our farm down there. And there's two things I remember. You know, one was uh, one day they, they, you know, I don't want to say they burned the farm down, but not the, I'm sorry, the the, uh, the barn down. But somebody, you know, or there was an accident or whatever, you know, but the, burn was, the, the barn was burning. And I remember him and my mother, I remember him carrying me and his arms and my mother, and we were looking at this, you know, the whole, basically... Some of the crop was in there already. Some of the tobacco, and this was about, I say, yeah, probably about 1958, you know, and uh, so that's one thing that I remember distinctively. And the other thing I remember was in uh, January, I think it was January 1st, uh, when you know Castro came into uh, Havana, and you know we were in our apartment, uh, we lived on a third floor, and you could see the tanks, you could see, you know. The, 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 soldiers, um, marching. So those two things, you know, they're very vividly in my mind. And, uh, so, you know, when I got here in, in 59, I came by myself, you know, and, and I remember, you know, I mean, one of the first things that, you know, that we did, we lived in downtown Miami. There was a hotel there called the, uh, the Dixie hotel. And, you know, we, uh, we lived there, we stayed there, um, uh, And we used to go to the Freedom Tower on Biscayne Boulevard. And, you know, down there, you know, the government would give us, like, you know, peanut butter, which incidentally is my favorite all time food.
1: (laughs) Well, sure, I'll bet. uh, Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I I ate plenty of that. And powdered milk. So we used to go to get the peanut butter, the powdered milk, and bread, you know, whatever they would give us. And then, you know, little by little, my mother started, uh, you know, uh, uh, sewing. You know, she would mm-hmm. make dress for, for, uh, for uh, you know, for different clients that we had. As a matter of fact, where we have our office now, is three blocks from where, you know, after we moved from the hotel, we moved into that little apartment. And it's funny because I passed by there often to j- just remind myself of, you know, this is where, you know, when you were seven, I believe I was seven at that time, eight years old, you know, this is where, you know, this whole thing started. And uh, my father worked at different jobs. You know, he was, uh, he worked in restaurants. He worked in shoe factories. uh, He did catering. uh, In those days, you know, there was no Uber or any of that stuff. So people would, uh, uh, they call them cantinas in in Spanish. And, you know, he worked for a a, a restaurant that would basically every day deliver these different uh, cantinas to the, you know, to their customers. So it was it was that uh, I believe around 1967 he started working for a uh, a cigar factory called Tropical Cigars, and uh, the opportunity came up to buy a fact a, a you know a little factory on Southwest 8th Street. At that time, it was called La Roma, and basically this was owned by an Italian gentleman, and uh, you know he offered to sell him sell him the the factory, and uh, it's funny because. You know, he uh, he sold it to him for five thousand dollars.
1: Wow, that's amazing.
2: And uh, and and the deal was that he would pay him back with cigars. He would make the La Roma cigars for him. But you know, we had he had one cigar maker. Uh, my my wife now of fifty years, I want to say I've, you know I've been married fifty years now. Uh, she started working with him after school. And she started helping out with the, you know, the tobacco and the uh, and the bending of the cigars. And then little by little, he started getting, you know, more cigar makers. And that was, you know, that to me was an experience uh, that I'll never forget because, you know, the people that he had working there, the cigar makers that he had working there, I mean, they were in their 70s and their 80s. They had worked, you know, in the best factories in Cuba. And these people were masters. I mean, uh, you know, they make 50 cigars, 75 cigars or whatever, but they were, you know like It They were really beautiful cigars. And, and and that's something that, you know, I lived through that era, which to me is, is like a gift because a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people haven't had that opportunity to see, you know, how cigars were made in those days. In those days, they didn't use molds. Uh, they would basically bunch the cigar and then the bunch were little rubber bands. And then after they had made, let's say, 50 cigars, then they would go and they would roll the cigars, and let me tell you, it was uh, needless to say they took off the rubber band, you know. And I'm saying that because some people ask me, "Well, did they leave the rubber band in there?" No, of course not. <laughs> so I mean, it was it was an experience that, um, you know, uh, it's, it's now it's, is this you know that's why you see the art right of making a cigar.
1: Is this the building? Yeah. Is this the building that's just directly, like uh, diagonal from El Teton de bronze?
2: Exactly. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So you're just right yeah, across the street. Right. I've, been in, I've been in that. Um, now, nowadays, it's a, it's a cigar shop. Um, right. But that's where you guys, uh, your family. Uh, well,
2: we started. We started. Yeah. We, yeah, I'm sorry. We started on one. We started at 1106, and then we started expanding, and we almost, you know, had the, that whole building. Or well, we had that whole building, I should say. Um, but we started in that little, you know, that little shop that we had there. Um, he started with one cigar maker and then, uh, little by little, he started, you know, bringing in people. And I think the most we had at any time were six, seven, eight, maybe 10 cigar makers. Okay. And, um, so I started working with them in 1970. Uh, I was a musician. I remember married when I was 19 and, you know, but I always loved music since I was little. And, um, so in 1970, I started working with them and working at night, you know, doing jobs in, you know, the different clubs around Miami. And uh, needless to say, I had to do that because the business was not really, you know, that, that prosperous, you know. I mean, it, uh, there were at that time, I think there were like 70, no, I'm sorry, like 20, 26 little cigar factories that had anywhere from three to five, six, 10 cigar makers. So everybody was competing you know, for the business. And at that time, the business was mostly the uh, cafeterias, you know, the, uh, cafeterias. So, I mean, it, it was, it was hard competition. And all these guys, you know, they knew their stuff, you know? I mean, I go back and I started thinking about, you know, Orlando Padron. He started back in 1968. Um, uh, Chavello, El Canelo. Uh, and, the, and it's funny because, all these all these uh, guys would go by the name of the factory. I mean, they, the name of the factory was the last name. Right. So I, if you ask me the name of anyone, I would I couldn't tell you because I know them by their you know factory name <laughs> or their last name. But it it was. I mean, it was an experience that was. Uh, you know, it was an incredible experience because you know I, I I saw my father how you know he just kept going and kept going. You know, in spite of all the uh, issues that we had. And there were a lot of issues, you know, I mean, just trying to get the business, trying to get the money, you know, uh, you know, trying to pay the, the cigar makers in the week, uh, at the end of the week. So, I mean, I, I lived through all that. And then, um, you know, needless to say, I also loved music. And in 1976, I decided, you know what, I, you know, I got to get this out of my system. OK, <laughs> so I moved. To, yeah, I got to see, you know, if I'm going to be a drummer, I got to you know, I got to be the best. I got to be the. Uh, you know, the next uh, uh, Buddy Rich or right, whatever. Right, right, right. So in 1976, I moved to New York. Uh, I was married. I had, you know, Lissette already. Uh, we had Lissette already. And I started working down there at, at, a, uh, at Nat Sherman's on Fifth Avenue. So I would work there during the day, and then at night I'd go to the different, uh, you know, clubs, the Village Vanguard, the Blue Note, you know, wherever I could go and listen to music. And, um, one day I was, I sat in, um, I got to know a couple of the guys in, in one of the clubs and, uh, Stan Getz walks in. Wow. So, you know, he heard me play. Yeah. I mean, this was, yeah. And, uh, after, you know, he heard me play and for some reason, you know, at that time Cuban drummers were the end thing. You know, if you were Cuban, you, you most definitely had a, a job playing drums in New York city. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a whole uh, and, uh, Ricky you know, Ricardo uh yes. sort of thing going on. Yeah.
2: Right? yeah yeah that's right yeah so he uh you know he invited me to audition and remember that weekend I uh, drove up to uh Tinefly, I guess I think that's where he lived tinnnifly and uh I took my drums out you know I set up in his you know his big studio and uh, he said you know what do you want to play I said well you know let's let's just you know Jam or whatever. And then as soon as I sat down on that drum, you know, my mind went blank. I I froze.
1: Mm.
2: And I couldn't play. And then I said, shit, you know, what what is this? You know, what's (laughs) happening to me? So Stan said, look, don't worry. You know, you're nervous. I understand that. Let's try it again. Same thing happened. You know, we start. I couldn't play. I I didn't listen. I couldn't hear the music. And, uh, you know, he was very nice. He said to me, look, Ernesto, I don't think you're ready yet. Uh, but, you know, you got to hang out, you know, at least five years. And look, let's, let's you know, let's touch base, you know, once you've been have, had a little bit more experience and see what happens. And uh, so, I mean, that was very, uh, how do you say? Uh, Humbling. Yeah, yeah. And I guess to a certain degree. I knew, I knew for some reason that I really wasn't as good as some of the people because I had been watching people and some of the things that, you know, some of those guys were doing, I said, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take me a while to get there. I mean, New York City is the capital of jazz. You know, Miami is, is not. So um, I remember, I remember, you know, right after that, I got a, a call uh, from my mother where she wanted me to, to come home. And I said, you know, I mean, I didn't want to leave. I said, you know, I don't want to leave. I want to, you know, give it a shot, you know. He says, Ernesto, I think you have to come home because, you know, your father is, is sick. Mm-hmm. He has uh, ALS. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he's not going to live long. And the thing is that, you know, he's got an opportunity.
0: Oh. All right. He's
1: Oh, we got we to reconnect with Ernesto here real quick. He, By the way, Ernesto is in the DR. So uh, we'll, we'll uh, have to understand that there could be a connection issue. We'll try to get him back quick. So this is the point where, um, in the story, where it could have gone either way for Ernesto. He could have either been the next uh, big drummer in New York City or got into the cigar uh, business. Ah, There, hey, there he is. Yeah. Sorry about that. A little connection issue. Yeah. So we're, we were just uh, kind of going over the fact that you, you, you got a call to come back home because uh, right. your, your father was ill. Right,
2: right, right. So, you know, like I said, you know, the next day I got in, in, my, in my car and I, you know, I drove back to Miami. And, and uh, you know, we went to this meeting. Uh, it was at a broker's, you know, office. And the, uh, there were two brothers um, that owned this brand Royal Jamaica. And they offered my father $125,000 to, you know, buy La Gloria. He had La Gloria, Cubana, Rico Habano, and El crédito. So, you know, during that meeting, I started, you know, I started, like, thinking. I'm saying, you know, you know, ever since we started this factory back in 68, it's, it's been, to a certain degree, it's been a, a struggle. But at the same time, you know, it's brought our families together. I mean, you know, my father would go home at night, and bring the wrappers, and, you know, my mother, uh, uh, her sisters, my father would be there, uh, you know, unstemming the wrapper, getting the tobacco ready for for the next day's production. Uh, My wife, you know, she, uh, my father would take the cigars made that day. uh, At night, Uh, we weren't married yet, you know, and and then she would ban those cigars. Then he'd come back in the morning around 6 a.m., because she had to, you know, we had to go to school and pick up the cigars. And then she would help him out doing, you know, some of the afternoons or the Saturdays or whatever. And, uh, you know, I started thinking about all those things. I said, you know what? Hey, this, this, this just doesn't seem right, you know. But my father, you know, he, he basically wanted to sell because he knew he was sick. Uh, he knew he had very little to live. And he wanted to release, you know, some money for us to get by
1: and that was a significant so, a significant offer uh, at that time right i mean oh,
2: yeah it wasn't it wasn't, yeah, it,
1: mean, wasn't it wasn't like you know if he had you know accepted this it would have been a small amount like that was a large amount at that time so this that would be very be very difficult yeah. for your father to make this decision
2: yes but you know my father had already started uh, spreading out and and uh, we had we had a, a distributor and and uh, Philadelphia called Premier Cigars. We had Old Chicago Smoke Shop and Greenberg. Uh, we had uh, Cherry, uh, what is it? Cherry Hill Tobacco. Uh, so, I mean, he was starting to get, you know, some recognition, I guess you right. could say, you know. And uh, during that meeting, you know, after, you know, going, and, 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 and I asked myself, you know, do you really want to be a drummer or, you know, are or, or you just going to let this, you know, all this work and all this hardship and all this sacrifice, you know, just go to, you know, to waste. So I asked him to step out. And uh, I said, basically, to him, I said, look, Dad, I don't want you to sell the business. And uh,
1: now this is you asked him to step out in this in this meeting
2: and, in the- and during the meeting. Wow. The meeting. Yeah. We stepped out of the office. And I said, you know what? I don't want you to sell a business. And he said, you know, Ernesto, this is a business. OK, that's you know, this is you see us. It's 24 seven. You know, I mean, you got to come in Saturdays, you got to come in Sundays, you got to get the tobacco prepared, and you love music. So you know, uh, you didn't really have to sacrifice. You got to make the sacrifices to be a success in this industry, which at that time was very small. Okay, now I'm talking about you know 19 what 1976, 77. I'm sorry, before that, 1974, 75, because he, he passed away in 1980. So it was, yes, 76, 77. And, uh, and he, said, he basically said to me, look, you, like I said, you know, this is how it works. Uh, you love your music. So, you know, you, you really, you really want to get into this. And I said, you know what? Yes, I do want to get into this. And he says, well, if that's the case, Ernesto, I'm not going to sell the business and he did we went back inside and you know he basically said you know thank you for the offer but you know we're not selling and uh, that is an incredible
1: so, moment in not just your life
2: what could have, yeah like
1: that, but but the, that is an incredible moment in the history of what could have been lost premium cigars that 5 minutes or whatever that took ernesto
2: it, yeah that little it was.
1: sliver of time was a very significant moment in the history of premium cigars <laughs>
2: Well, you know, the thing is that he, he, told, me, he told me one thing that he said uh, that, you know, my father had a vision that was incredible. And uh, he said, you know, this business now is, you know, you may see it, you know, for what it is now. But if you keep doing this, I'm sure that the day will come when you'll be able to invoice $500,000. Now, at that time, we were doing maybe, you know, know 20000 you know, uh, uh, I don't know, a month, maybe 10,000, who knows. And when he said that, I said, well, you know, it, it doesn't look like, I said to myself, it doesn't look like it because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the other struggles we're still going through. And I have to say this, you know, my, if, if it hadn't been for my mother's little business, okay, of, you know, uh, being a seamstress, uh, I don't know how we could have survived because mm-hmm. I, I remember there were, there were weeks where, you know, he didn't have $1,000 to pay the cigar makers. And my mother would come through mm. and, and basically, uh, you know, give him the money to, to, you know, to keep the business going. So, I mean, I saw it from all aspects. There was such faith in this and in, in being, in being able to, you know, and being in this industry that, you know, they were born into, you know, my father and my mother. So, anyway, 1980, you know, he passed away. And I took over and, uh, you know, we still, uh, we had, I think at that time, maybe, I don't know, 10 cigar makers. Uh, and believe me, it, it was, it, you know, there were moments there where I said to myself, you know, I wish I hadn't, you know, <laughs> <Right. stepped> out <laughs> and let us said no business because this is not what, uh, you know, it's one thing when you see it from the outside, but when you're on the inside, it's a whole different, it's right. a whole different world. You were like, uh, what did I get <laughs> but, myself into? exactly exactly yeah. but you know I, I it, it was like in an, an, like an instant obsession mm. uh, once I started uh, doing it because and I can I tell you know I you know people that work in this business you know and whatever uh, you know they do whether it be sales you know manufacturing or whatever you know it's in your blood and, and once it's in there you know you can't get it out you always want to come back to, to doing that right to be in the industry. Uh, being in the industry. So in 1980, he passed away and, uh, you know, I started working with the, uh, you know, the people that he had there, which were, like I said before, you know, elderly people. And they had their ways, they had their um, uh, habits. And, of course, I really didn't know that much. Uh, I, I have to say I had so much support, you know, from them and from, you know, my father, the relationships my father had built. With the uh, you know the Oliva family, uh, the the, uh, the the tobacco company from Tampa, uh, Angel Cucho, uh, Cucho kind of took me under his wing, and you know he kind of I was like his, for whatever reason the guy just loved me and I loved him because he helped me out tremendously, you know. And then the people that were in Miami at that time there were two uh, warehouses that sold tobacco. One was uh, Edelman and Son, and the other one was. Um, uh, what's he the I'm sorry. Um, Portilla, Portilla and company. So, you know, I would buy the tobacco from them and, uh, you know, make our little cigars there. There wasn't that much available. There was only like, you know, Dominican, maybe some Mata Fina from Brazil, Cameroon wrapper and, uh, and Dominican tobacco. And that's basically what everybody more or less was using and blending. And, um, you know, I remember, this This is, I just came back, you know, when I mentioned the name Andres Lopez, I remember when, uh, <laughs> after he passed away and I go get some tobacco, uh, he says to me, uh, you know, Ernesto, this this is, uh, anything that you need here is yours, okay? Don't ever worry about the money. Don't worry about, you know, whatever you need, we're here for you. <laughs> and, I mean, that gave me so much you know, pride, I guess, and what the relationships that my father had had uh, built over all these years. So they helped me out a lot to, you know, to get me started. And uh, so in 19, well, it was in 19, you know, basically we were, like I said before, we were all doing pretty much the same blends. And then around 1982, uh, I smoked a, uh, a cigar, a Davidoff from Cuba. And uh, I remember I was sitting in my little office there and I'm smoking a cigar. This guy brought me back a five-pack from England. He had just visited England. And, 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 and that cigar was, you know, it, I have to say it, it just opened my mind to not being satisfied with what, you know, I was doing. So that's really when I started going and looking into the different, you know, tobaccos that were available, like, you know, the Sumatra wrappers, uh, which we would use. We would use, but we would also use, you know, we would buy a bale here, a bale there, whatever. And I say, you know, this is like, uh, this is, I think this rap is what's going to really take me to, to uh, you know, to be different than, than what's happening now, than what the other people are doing. Because that's my thing, you know, I want to be, uh, you know, unique in my own ways with my blends or my tobaccos or whatever. Because that's, you know, that's what I like to do. That's what I love to do. So I remember um, one day I rented a uh, a Chevrolet. I'll never forget a Chevrolet Impala. It was black, <laughs> and I drove <clears throat> and I drove to uh, to Tampa to meet with Cucho. And I said, Cucho, you know, I want to start, uh, you, know, you, you know, I want to get really serious about this Sumatra rapper. Uh, at that time, I think the only people that I can remember that were using that tobacco was Uh, uh They used to make the, uh, the Hoya Monterey. And I think, I don't remember if they used the punch. But I was in love with that cigar because that cigar was, at that time, you know, one of the strongest cigars you could smoke. And uh, I remember that uh, I fell in love with that cigar also because, you know, that's what I wanted. I wanted to have a full-body cigar. And what we were making in Miami wasn't happening I think, and and, and this convinces me, you know, one of the reasons it wasn't happening was because, you know, we were using Cameroon, which is a, it's a great tobacco, but it's more of a medium, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, more medium, very flavorful, uh, but it doesn't have that punch that I was looking for. And, you know, once I started using that Sumatra constantly, I saw that the sales starting to, you know, people started to say, you know, this is really a nice cigar, it's different. It's fuller body and, um, you know, little by little, we started getting noticed uh, in different, uh, uh, you know, different states. I remember my first uh, RTDA show was in 1982. And uh, I think it was in San Francisco. They used to have one in San Francisco and one in New York. So I remember for, I don't know, for the longest time, you know, I used to go there, set up my eight by 10 booth or whatever. And, you know, just wait for somebody to come in and, and, and buy the cigars. And uh, at that time, you could carry, uh, you know, boxes on, on the uh, airplane. So I would take, you know, three or four boxes, you know, full of cigars. And, I mean, it, it, was, it, it was, you know, I'm talking about it now. But um, it, 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 they were tough times, but I loved right. doing that, you know? Well, and now, and, so,
1: and, and then yeah. eventually, and I'm going to do a commercial real quick, but when we come back from yeah. commercial... Uh, We'll talk about the '90s, and that's sort of when everything—that's when everything everything changed. When all hell breaks Um, loose. When all heck breaks (laughs) loose. So, uh, uh, just real quick, folks, this show is sponsored by JR Cigars. It's one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high-end boxes, plus a large selection of cigar accessories. This year is JR Cigars' 50th anniversary. They'll be celebrating all year long with amazing promotions, contests, sweepstakes, and several limited-run projects with some of your favorite manufacturers. Join JR in celebrating 50 years of excellence and stock up on your favorite (laughs) cigars today. This is episode 282, Jordan. Holy cow.
0: 282
1: of Smoke Night Live. Uh, We are joined by our special guest, Ernesto Perez-Carrillo. We're talking about the history, and Ernesto has taken us through... um, the very genesis of the company, what, what you know, started his passion. Uh, now we're getting into the stage, Ernesto, where the cigar boom happens and a lot of really bad cigars are being produced because the demand is so high, but the, you know, the availability of good cigars, uh, there's just not enough of it. Uh, but yeah. in the 90s, this is where uh, things change for you in a dramatic and, and fantastic way.
2: Right, and it, it, it all started back in, uh, I believe it was 1990, 91, where, you know, I was in my, in my little factory right there on Calle Ocho, and I see a white town car drive up, and I see this man, you know, with gray, long hair kind of, walk out and come into the, uh, into the shop and ask for me. And, and I said, uh, and this was Marvin Chankin. So, you know, we started talking. He, he started, you know, telling me about uh, a uh, an idea or or a project that he had to come up with a cigar magazine, Cigar Aficionado. So, you know, I listened to the guy, and, and I'm I'm saying to myself, I say, you know what, the the way this industry is now, uh, I mean, from my experience, of course, I don't know how, you know, anybody's really going to be interested in a cigar magazine. But, you know, he had a vision, you know, and I remember before he left, he said, you know, Ernesto, I'm going to do for the cigar industry what I did for the wine industry with Wine Spectator. And uh, I want to make you all guys rock stars. I said, all right, you
1: know, that's, uh, you know. This is where your rock star star (laughs) vision finally comes into play.
0: How did he, do you know, like, how did he know to seek you out like that?
2: That's a good question, which, you know, I've I've really never asked him. But I guess that, you know, he has started hearing a little bit about La Gloria Cubana. Um, At that time, I have to say there weren't as many factories as when I started, you know, um, because when I started, when I started down there, you know, you had, uh, like I said, maybe 20 factories. You know, there was Padron, Chavelo, Benedict, um, Consolidated Cigars, which is now Altaris. Hmm. so there were a few factories but not that many so how he came upon me i can't you know i've never asked him but uh i guess i'll have to someday because you know maybe <laughs> it would just struck a of luck you know. right yeah so anyway yeah so anyway he says yeah i'm going to send you some magazines i'm going to make a little story on the wine spectator <clears throat> and that first you know when he sent me that magazine where it had basically it was all about Cuba the Cohiba factory. And I said "My myself, man, I was amazed, man. I said, man, you know, this, this, this guy really knows what he's doing, you know. And then in 1982, 1992, I'm sorry. Uh, I remember at the, uh, the introduction of the uh, magazine, there was a, you know, they were introducing it at the RTDA breakfast, and there were, you know, all the retailers, all the manufacturers were there. You know, he was giving his speech. And about... I don't know, 20 minutes before he finished, you know, I, I said, let me go up to my room and, you know, get my uh, sales order book, which at that time was a yellow notepad. And um, so I go up to my room and, and I'm coming down as I walk into the hall, I see a big line uh, in front of my booth. Wow. And I'm looking at those people and I say to myself, you know, what are these people doing here? <laughs> And all of a sudden, you know, hey, I want uh, 100 boxes of Weibo. I want 10 boxes of Weibo. I want this, I want that. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm writing all this down on, on, on the yellow pad. And I'm thinking to myself, what, what the hell's happened? <laughs> and finally, uh, I don't remember who it was now, but uh, one you know, of the retailer. he comes to me, he says, uh, Did you see your, your story? Or your range, I should say. And, you know, I hadn't even opened the, uh, the magazine. Uh, even at the breakfast, I hadn't opened it up. And then when I see it had the, the Weibo, the Goricoana I had a uh, 90. And that's why people were so... I mean, and after that, it was just, you know, it was crazy. I remember that day, I have to say, you know, my biggest sales in all those 10 years that I've been going to the uh, RTDA, which was called at that time, was I think like $600. You know, that first day, I sold like $25,000. Wow. Well- and... It was incredible, but the thing is, I you know I call I call my wife right now, saying this. Will, you know what happened? You know people are just you know they're standing in line trying to get the cigars, and we just don't don't you know we just don't have that much. So I mean this whole thing started, uh, and, and I and it you know after I got back to Miami, I said to myself you know you know I don't know how we're going to handle this because it was basically my wife, myself, uh, my daughter would help out you know. Um, my son who was little and there was one other person there in the office and uh so i mean it was it was crazy it was crazy i mean people would get there at six in the morning and make a line you know to buy a a bundle of wave or a bundle of torpedo which got rated highly also later on so it was just something that uh, it was unbelievable and this went on uh i remember i took another place and at one time, we got to, uh, to have about, uh, what's, I think it was like 30 cigar makers. But it still was not enough, you know. Because the boom really lasted about six, seven years. Right, yeah. So in 19, yeah, 1996, I decided to uh, you know, to open up a factory here. I had been coming to, to uh, Dominican Republic before because, you know, uh, uh, Galitos and Carlos... Uh, Would invite me to come and you know, and I see their factories and say, Man, you know, someday I wish I could have a factory like this. If you see it now, I mean, it's incredible. And uh, so in '96, I finally decided to, uh, you know, to make that move here. And but I left Miami open, so we started uh, '96, and I think that year we produced I want to say what six million cigars. Wow. Now before we had been producing about maybe you know doing those time with the 30 cigar makers, maybe five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred, you know who knows. but it was just constantly you know making cigars. we would work we would work from you know 6 am. to 10 a, 10 p.m in Miami and, and in the yard just to you know try to meet the demand. Wow. Now
1: Ernesto, um, yeah. how were yeah. how were you like during this time in the 90s, you know, it's sort of famous for the fact that the demand was so high that a lot of the product wasn't that great. How were you able to maintain a good product uh, throughout that time, which is sort of like kind of where, how you got your name? Like, you know, th- your cigars were still a-, a super high quality while a lot of people were just pumping stuff out as fast as they could just to meet that demand. How were you able to continue to have a, a high-quality product in the midst of this craze that was going on at the time?
2: Well, you know, uh, I think what, you know, I I think there were a couple of things. You know, one of the things was, you know, I I never wanted to go back to having five cigar makers or or 10 or whatever. And um, I remember, you know, I read a book by um, by uh, Pat Riley. And basically what he says is, you know, you can never worry about the money or making money. You know, just try to be the best that you can at what you are. And to be the best, you know, you can't cut corners. And uh, the money will come by itself. So that was kind of my, 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 uh, you know, my motto, my goal that, you know, try to be the best. That's always been my thing, you know, try to be different, try to be the best. And really money, you know, to me is, is not something that, I, you know, I do this for. I do it because, you know, I love what I do. And um, so I think that, I mean, you know, there were times where my wife would say, and uh, so, you know, we have X amount of cigars on back orders. And I would say, to her, oh, you know, you have to wait because I have to age them. You know, they have to be aged 30, 45 days or whatever, especially with broadleaf wrapper. And it just, just kept growing, just kept growing. I mean, people would come into, like I said, they would come in every day and basically form a line to try to get, you know, at least one bundle of cigar. Right. It, it, was, it was just amazing. You know, I've never seen anything like that. And uh, I think that's what, you know, that was what, you know, what was important to me, you know, keep that quality always consistency as much as I could. Now, there were times when, you know, uh, know, there was not that many tobacco around or whatever. And because everybody was, you know, kind of taking advantage of this boom. And uh, so, I mean, there were times there when, you know, we had to stop. We had to stop and, you know, take a week off or whatever till we got you know, our allotments of tobacco. But I was very, you know, I was very fortunate because, you know, uh, I always, you know, try to build relationships with, you know, uh, you know, people in the industry, as far as, you know, manufacturers, uh, growers. Uh, and it's helped me a lot, you know. Right now, you know, uh, we, you know, it, this industry is going through another boom. And, you know, there's people out there that, uh, unfortunately, can't get tobacco. Uh, and Thank God I'm able I'm able to still, you know, uh, you know, get as much tobacco as I need. All right. So and, now. Uh, so, I mean,
1: it, yeah. Let's uh, let's jump ahead to where you uh, you eventually sell sell the company and but you stay on for a good right. 10 years or so with with the company. And um, at that at that point selling the company, what was the uh, the reasoning behind uh, uh, selling, you know, uh, to, to to general at the time?
2: Well, the, well, actually, the, I, I I sold to Swedish Match. Okay. And what happened was, for the you know for about two years, I I had been getting different offers to sell the company, and uh, you know Swedish Match uh, back in was ninety uh, you know they wanted they wanted a cigar company and they wanted my cigar company, and you know I didn't want to sell because for two years i been you know I had offers. And I just didn't want to sell. And uh, I think one of the reasons that I saw was because, you know, my daughter, she, uh, you know, she she started working in New York City. She's a lawyer. My son went out to uh, school to start finance. And and I said, you know what, Uh, this is an opportunity that may never come by again. And, you know, the kids don't seem to be interested. And, you know, let's take advantage of this. And, you know, this is a great opportunity. So. After two years, I finally say, "Yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll sell the company." And we sold the company in '99. Um, Swedish Match asked me to stay on, and basically, you know, I, I have to, I have to, you know, I have to say I admire that company so much because they, they basically said, "And to do what you do best, and you know, don't worry about us. Just do what you do, and whatever, you know, we're here to help you with whatever we can." So in the year 2000, 2000, 2001, they bought General, okay, they bought the premium cigar side, and then we merged with General. And um, I was with them for about, uh, I think it was about eight years, and I had a two-year non-compete. So when that time came up, uh, they asked me, you know, to stay on and, uh, you know, kind of keep working there with La Gloria. I don't want to say numbers, but I mean what the the job that General did with Gloria Cubana and the CBR was incredible. You know, we went from what we were doing to numbers that uh, you know I never thought were possible, because they had the organization, they had the sales, you know, they had the Coleman's there, and uh, these guys know what these guys knew how to run the business. So in 2009. I, you know, I finally say, well, you know, I'm going to open up my, my factory. I'm going to open up a little factory. I'm going to, uh, you know, basically make private labels because I don't want to go into the marketing and the finance and the sales and all that. You know, I've been through that already. It's, uh, you know, for me, it's a lot of that's not my forte. So when my kids heard about it, they said, you uh, know, well, that, you know, so so what are you thinking of doing? That? I said, well, you know, I'm going to open a factory. I'm going to, you know, start my my uh, my uh, not as a hobby because you know I, I, this will never be a hobby to me, but something that you know love to do and, and do for the next you know five ten years to see what happens. And they said, well you know we want to be a, a part of the uh, of this company. And I said, uh, remember I said to well, you know you you gotta understand one thing you know, I don't know what you guys are making but you must be making a lot because you're not asking me for any money. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. at that time, Lise was in New York. She moved to, back to Miami. And my son also, he, had, he, he was working for a company called KKR. And um, he also moved to Miami. So, I mean, right there, I said, you know, these kids left, left, left their good paying jobs to, to do this. You know, we got to make this work. So that's basically how, you know, we started back in two thousand nine. We started in a little office in uh was it uh on A Street, and it basically was just a cousin of mine, uh Lisette and Ernie. And then I was uh you know down here in Dominican in Dominican Republic, uh, you know, trying to set the uh my my new factory up. Right. And and uh so, so, I mean, it, it but, but, you know, it just, I, I, never, I never saw it as, as uh, it was challenging, but I knew that, that um, somehow we would get it done. And, you know, basically, you know, we're here today, you know, we, we uh, uh, I guess we, see, you know, we, uh, you can say we've been lucky, but I think also the hard work that the whole family has put into, you know, making this company what it is, is also part of the reason why you know we're where we are now.
0: Yeah. So, now, can I rewind for a second uh, back to the CRIR. Uh A, did you develop that cigar when you were with um, Scandinavian in General, or was that pr- prior? No.
2: Oh, no. No. That was this. That yeah. The Ciriar. We back in nineteen ninety eight. Okay. You know, I remember. About, I would say probably about 15 days before they, uh, there was a, an RTDA show. And uh, I don't know why, you know, I said to myself, you know, let me, let's come out. I mean, La Gloria Cubana was doing great, the white box. And I said, you know, let me introduce something new for the show. So <clears throat> we had some molds, we had some molds that were 52 and 54. And at that time, I don't think there were that many cigars with that ring gauge. And uh, I said, you know, let's make some samples, you know. And I called it CBR because originally they were going to be all Robusto sizes, you know, different sizes. Mm. So we made the 52, the 54. Um, we came out with, a, you know, a different packaging, the, the brown box, you know, with the, uh, uh, the slide box. And that was done with, uh, with a company here called, that used to be here, called Picus And, uh, you know, they made those samples within, you know, few days before I had to come to Miami to, to go out to Las Vegas. So we started that and right away we came out with a, a natural and a Maduro and right away that, that those two cigars were a success. Uh, and then in 19, then when, when I saw two Swedish match, I remember, remember that, you know, Mike Giannini was working at that time with, uh, with general. And uh, he came down with two of the uh, marketing guys from uh, Swedish Match, and they said, "You know, we want to make a, 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 another size for the like, for the Syria uh, because you know two sizes isn't really it's not taking enough shelf space. Let's put it that way." And um, and I remember and I remember you know we started talking about a, uh, a forty-eight by uh, four and a half, and we're talking there, and this was done here in Dominican, the apartment I used to live in before. And we started talking about that, and I, I started, you know, thinking back, and I said, because uh, back in, in the uh, early '80s, we used to make a seven by seventy and a uh, what's a sixty-six or sixty-four by six for a uh, a, uh, a local motorcycle club. You know, they liked those big cigars so they could ride their bikes, and and, and just out of the top of my head, and I said to them, why, why don't we make a six by sixty? And they looked at me and they said, "Do you think that'll sell?" I said, "No, I don't know if it'll sell, but let me tell you, uh, a forty-eight by five. I'm not. I'm reluctant to do that. So, and there's nothing else. I mean, what a fifty-four? What are you going to go a fifty-six? You know, that's only two ring gauges. Let's do a sixty. And well, I mean, once we introduced that cigar, it was like, you know, the rave of the of the industry because <laughs> you know everybody wanted a big ring gauge cigar." And uh, and then we came out with a 58 by seven, and uh, I mean the CVRs is I don't know it's probably still and I'm not there anymore, but I couldn't say. But I'm still, I'm sure it's still one of the best selling big ring gauge cigars around. I, I can't so, believe. So it just happened. It, it just happened. It just happened at the spur of the moment. This is not something that you that I planned for. What I was thinking about before it just happened. Right. And then, you know it's it's incredible at you know the the uh, how how popular that 6x60 six became later.
0: <laughs> right. I, can, I can't yeah. believe you're saying that there was a, a like these Gordo sizes you were making in the 80s? I, I, I've never heard of a size that big being yeah. made that, that
2: far back. Well, well, the the, the thing is that, you know, the, these people came in and I knew one of the guys, well, and he says, uh, Mr, can you make this cigar for us? And I remember we had to make them with paper, there were no molds for that, so I had one cigar maker, one cigar maker there. He would make the the the, 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 the uh, bunch, and then he would roll it in paper. And uh, this guys loved it, you know. And they wanted maduros, so everything that you know, those cigars were all maduros, which makes sense because you know, when you're in the wind, the maduro wrapper is going to break as easy as a natural wrapper. Right. But you know, that that's part of the uh, how do you say that's part of the. Uh, you know, the, the, the experience. I guess it's like, you know, reading a book where, you know, one day a sentence in the books come out or a word or, or something and, you know, you don't think about it, it just comes out. And this was something that, you know, was pretty much like that. So it was, <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> and, the,
1: and, the, and the rest is... Now, now there was a lot of uh, EPC Carrillo uh, cigars that were popular, but in 2014, La Historia comes around Gets number two cigar of the year and cigar aficionado, mm. then the encore gets number one in 2018, and then in 2019 uh, or 20, I'm sorry, uh, you get the number one cigar of the year with the pledge. Like what a string of successes! I, I can't think of another company that has had you know in just uh, that short amount of time that much those that, that many accolades in just such a short amount of time. Let's talk about those three cigars—they're uh, sort of your flagship of the company nowadays.
0: Yeah, because before before that, before the La Historia, your company didn't really have that like ultra premium, you know, Viper on the no. lot, so to speak.
2: Yeah, and and that was really something that uh, you know, my son Ernie came to me one day. He said, you know, Dad, I want to, uh, you know, I think you know we need to make something that perhaps a little bit more traditional in the look, and. Uh, so that's basically where the, uh, the idea was born. And then as far as the design, that was something that my daughter, uh, Lissette worked on with, uh, with a, uh, a friend of her who was a, uh, who is a painter and, you know, they made the design, they made, you know, all the, uh, the, uh, the packaging, I guess you could say. Uh, but I remember, I think what, you know, I think what makes these cigars, uh, unique and what people get, you know, um, uh, well, we've gotten the rating, you know, uh, is because, you know, I think they're, they're unique in, in themselves. You know, for me, for instance, all the three rappers, except the Pledge rapper, which is, it's a funny story because the Pledge I first used back in, uh, I would say, 1983, 84. And what happened there was, you know, I would go to the different cafeterias because, you know, sometimes I would go out and, and try to sell the bundles also. And I would see there was this particular brand called Turiano, which you know, I would see my bundles were full. Maybe there was a cigar or two missing, and then in this particular bundle, it was empty. And I said, "Shit, well, you know, what is this guy?" So I would buy the cigar and say, "Man, this cigar is really good." You know, at, at that time I was using broadleaf for the uh, cigars we were making, which were basically short filler, Fumas, and casadores. And uh, so I started. You know, one day I visited this guy and, and and I asked him, you know, you know, what what are you using? And he wouldn't tell me. He said, well, I I can't tell you because, you know, this is something that's uh, the grower of this particular tobacco that I use, which is the Havana, Connecticut. You know, he's very, um, uh, you know, he doesn't want people using this tobacco. He already has enough customers. I said, all right, that's the way you feel. uh." And and I remember one day I'm passing by his factory and I see a truck parked right in front of it and there letting out this big box. They used to come in wood boxes. And I said, okay. So I parked <laughs> my car, and I walked right in front of the box. This was my first experience with, uh, how do you say, uh, industrial intelligence, or uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine or whatever. And, and he comes out. He happens to come out, and he sees me. And he looks at me, and he said, I mean, I, ha- I already had memorized that guy's name uh, this was grown in Massachusetts by a, a gentleman called Peter Markowski, I think his name was. A, and he looked at me, he said, uh, you know, basically he said, you know, you caught me. So th- let me see if I can get some of this tobacco from you. And I was gonna get it. You know, whether he got it from me or not, I was gonna <laughs> get the tobacco. And that's basically how I started using that tobacco, that Havana, Connecticut, back in, in the early 80s. And believe me, it made a difference in the blends. And this is why I'm, I'm a strong believer in the importance of the wrapper. To me, the wrapper is 60, 60 to 70% of what that cigar is going to you know, smoke like, the aroma, the complexity. And it proved it to me for the first time when I used that particular wrapper. And um, so that was the first time I used it. So... With La Historia, you know, when I used the Mexican wrapper, now it had been used before, but uh, for me it was a first because I had never really made a cigar with Mexican wrapper using a uh, Ecuadorian binder and uh, Nicaraguan tobacco. And then with the Encore, uh, we got, um, I was, and we all know Nestor Plasencia, you know, he's like, uh, I call him El Mayimbe. I, was mem- I remember uh, I-, I was, buying tobacco from him. We were in Honduras and I was buying some filler. And I'm, I'm a very nosy guy. Okay. I, I like to see, and I don't say anything, but I see boxes and I'm always trying to find out what they are. So he has this, you know, in his warehouse, he has these boxes. And I said, Nestor, what is this? He said, no, that's a new wrapper that I'm growing. You can I see it? So he pulls out a, a hand and I'm looking at this wrapper, man. This was like the most beautiful thing i would ever seen. You know, I mean, the, the, the shine, the, the texture. And I said, well, I want to buy some of this tobacco from you. And uh, he said, all right, you know, whatever you need, Ernie, you know, um, we'll sell it to you. And that's basically how, you know, I decided to, to make La Historia because, you know, before that, he said, I think it was like 2000, what was it 15? Yeah. Lissette said, that you know, we should come out with another uh, uh, Cigar in the Perez Carrillo series because, you know, we're doing so well with, with La Historia, but I think, you know, we need to do something. So when I saw that rapper, I said, said we're ready for it, you know. And um, I remember we, we bought the tobacco. We introduced it in 2016 at the RTDA. And, um, you know, during that time, during that show, uh, I started you know smoking the cigar you know i would give it to people they would say yes great cigar you know i like it and all this but i didn't see you know i didn't see that wow factor Mm, it doesn't have a wow factor i don't want to you know i I, I know there's something that's not right so when we got back i think we had sold i think she told me we sold like i don't know 100,000 170,000 cigars uh and i said to her you know uh we, you know this cigar ain't ready. We can't put it out yet. So you know she looks at me. She says, "Well, you know, if you don't feel right about the cigar, yeah."
1: You know. Oh, did we did we lose him for a second? <laughs> He'll be back. We're we're talking encore, <laughs> talking encore. But this was the uh, the number one in 2000. Uh, what was it,
0: 18? Uh, I believe yes. so. Yes. It yes. In 18.
1: Hopefully we can get uh, Ernesto back because, uh,
0: you know, he's in the Dominican Republic. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, what are you going to do? By the way, Jordan, you Should were talking expectant. about how interesting it is that they use so much Nicaraguan tobacco as a, for a Dominican.
2: We bought about. Oh, yeah, there we go. go. Here You're we back. Go. You're back. Oh, you lost me? We lost you for. We lost you for uh, a second. 30 seconds. Yeah. Okay. So what party we leave off on?
1: So you were saying that the Encore just wasn't ready, and so you didn't feel comfortable so I, putting it out.
2: Right, right. So I come, I come back to, uh, to uh, Dominican, and, you know, after much analyzing and, you know, and trying the blends and all that, it wasn't the tobacco itself. It was the wrapper that needed more fermentation. So we took, you know, whatever we had. I think it was like we had about like 6,000 pounds. We hadn't made that many cigars. And I said, you know what, let's get all this tobacco, and that's re and this is where the you know the tercio fermentation comes in. The tercio is a, a method that was uh, invented in Cuba, uh, and basically was more for transportation because at that time they didn't have the the carton boxes. So we put them in tercio, and tertios are made from the uh, the bark of the palm trees. Okay, and here in Dominican there's plenty of palm trees, so we were able to get you know a lot of the, that. Uh, uh, yagua, they called it in Spanish. And we left the, uh, you know, we repacked all that tobacco because I didn't want to referment it. Refer- you know, I wanted to uh, ferment slowly. And this is what the, ter- what the tercio do does. So we put it in tercios, and we left it there for about six months, seven months. And, you know, we would constantly be checking. And the more we checked it, the better that tobacco got. You know, the chocolatey, I mean, the, the aroma, and um, finally, in 2018, they say, "Okay, let's do the reintroduction." And uh, it was it was a success. You know, oh, yeah. that year we got the number one, you know, the number one cigar. And uh, after that, it was just you know, it's, it's to this day. It's really, I mean, La Historia and the Encore just sell like you know, incredibly. Well, now- that's,
0: that's impressive that you were able to not just you know, just it's good enough. Let's just come out with a cigar. You said no. Like, this thing, let's pull it back. Because it kind of, like, we saw it at IPCBR, you know, you, you had the cigar mm. out, and then yeah. you, you pulled it back and said this thing wasn't ready, and we'll wait a couple of years. Uh, and, then, and then when it was ready, that thing was great.
1: Obviously, that uh, decision paid yeah, off. It,
2: well, it paid off tremendously, you know, and I think the reason that happened was because, you know, I've been, I've been so many years in the industry, and I had so many, uh, you know, to me, uh, failures, as far as, you know, not only, uh, uh, you know, blends, but, you know, in in general, you know, the fermentation. And after a while, you know, you you know when things are right, when they're not right. And um, I knew this cigar in 2016 wasn't right. So that's why we waited the the two years to really, you know, come back and, and, and do what needed to be done to get to make it right.
1: Now so. you Ernesto, you probably had to be feeling like, all right, so I've had the number two cigar of the year in two thousand and fourteen and I had the number one cigar of the year in two thousand and eighteen you know how many times yeah. can I repeat <laughs> can I repeat on this and then boom, this year with the pledge, number one again was i I know a guy like you doesn't need validation to know that you that what you're doing is your passion and you're doing it right, but it also mm-hmm. has to feel amazing at the same time to get you know three of those top awards in such a short amount of time this year when pledge uh was the number one cigar of the year in cigar aficionado and the very next day uh it was the number one cigar of the year on the dojo (laughs) what yes talk us through that couple of days there what was that like for you it had to be it had to be an amazing you know moment for you
2: well let, let me tell you you know from the from the moment we made that cigar okay and uh you know, I I knew it was something uh, again that it was you know different. I think it it was something that was not uh, was not out there. Now to say that uh, that um, you know I expected it to be number one, I, I really didn't expect that, uh, especially you know after coming off a number one a couple of years before. But uh, when that happened, it just it it, it you know it it. You know, I felt and, and I don't want to sound I don't want to sound arrogant. I don't want to sound, you know, like uh, I felt like, you know, it. Uh, it deserved it. Let's put it that way. Mm, right, right. To me, it deserved it. You know,
0: well, wow, it's a fantastic uh, and, cigar. I yeah. guess
2: yeah, every cigar that gets number one deserves it because otherwise, you know, they wouldn't get those ratings. But to me, this was I, you know, I kind of looked at it and I said, you know, this may be my last number one. I mean with this cigar because I thought, you know, and I smoked that cigar and you know and, and I still enjoy it so much, you know. Uh so I said, you know, I'm 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 glad it happened. <laughs> um, because my expectation was well, you know, we're not gonna get number one because we had a number one a couple of years ago. But you know, it it, it it's 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 something that uh yeah, I mean, Cigar Aficionado got a, you know, you guys rated it also. So, I mean, think about that for a minute. That really validates the, the fact that the cigars <laughs> deserves to be number one, right? No. Oh, yeah. Okay, I mean, so. in
1: fact, um, we were doing a live show um, on Smoke Night Live when Jordan smoked that. It was a first impression show where we all smoke a cigar we've never smoked before. And mm-hmm. Jordan had that cigar, uh, the Pledge, that night mm-hmm. and just raved about it. And so then we were all like, wow, like if Jordan, Jordan's a pretty tough critic. And so like and he, <laughs> he, he smoked it that night and loved it. So then we all smoked it like right after that just to see what like, you know, Jordan, are you are you going crazy? Like because he kept raving about it. And sure enough, like, you know, that cigar was just so fantastic. I'm smoking it right now. Not only not only is this cigar a fantastic cigar, but the presentation is okay. amazing. When you when you buy a box of pledge, you really feel like you've got your money money's worth. I'll try to show. Let me try to show this yeah. box real quick in case guys haven't uh, seen this yet. But it's just a gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous Velvet presentation. Velvet Every, yeah. Everything yeah. about this just screams uh, luxury luxury, and quality. Luxury, so, yeah. so congratulations, Ernesto, on this. Thank you. Thank this. you very much. It couldn't be a better. I, ho- I hope you got your trophy. I think we sent you down a. We sent you down a, uh, a trophy for if this. You did, if you
2: yeah. did, and I'm not there, right. I'm sure it's in Lisette's house. <laughs> okay. She did, she did.
0: Now, for this cigar, I mm-hmm. get like, what hits me is like this density of the smoke, like the this syrupy, dense uh, texture to the smoke. Is that, do you attribute that to the wrapper, or is it like some, is it a combination of the Connecticut Havana with the Nicaraguan tobacco? What gives it that like, dense texture well
2: it, it is a combination but again I, I think that uh you know the the connecticut havana does give it that you know it's uh, it, you know the connecticut havana it's a very thick oily wrapper i mean uh we ferment that tobacco you know minimum four five six months you know sometimes even longer but we don't over ferment it because we want some of those oils to stay in, in the tobacco. And I think that's what gives it that, you know, that, uh, you know, for me, when I light one up, the first thing that I know is, the, you know, the strength, the creaminess, uh, because it is, you know, it is, uh, you know, probably uh, our, one of our fullest cigars in the, uh, in the portfolios. And um, uh, it's a combination of, of the, uh, of all the tobaccos, mm-hmm. but I think the wrapper Really adds a lot
1: to that dens- uh, density. Oh yeah, it's it is it is a, a almost a dessert smoke, but I think you could smoke at any time of the day. But probably l- later in the day would go great with bourbon. Uh, would go great with whiskey. Yeah. It would go great with a a a, uh, a rare steak. You know, I oh, mean, absolutely. right out. You know, right <laughs> after that, uh, Ernesto. The the history that you presented tonight was incredible. I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, just sort of catching up with what you guys are doing now. Um, there's a, a a Facebook show that you're going to be doing. Um, Ernesto's Wednesday Wisdom. What can you, what can you tell us about that? What can folks uh, look forward to on Facebook, uh, your, your show that you're doing?
2: Uh, I have to be frank with you. Okay. Uh, this is the first I've heard about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> So if that's happening... It, it was
1: your, it was your, da- happy, your daughter's right, post. Yeah, yeah. She,
2: she gets me... Yeah, she, yeah, she gets me... T- she does what she does. You know, she does a lot of... Uh, she's really gotten into the social media stuff. And right. uh, she does a lot of... Like, we do, like, factory tours uh, on Thursdays, I think it is. And uh, so this is something new that I'll ask her tomorrow what this is about. I I hate to
1: break it to you, but you've got some work. You've got some work coming up. I got a lot of
2: work. I I feel that, you know, because I'm the type of person that, uh, um, I don't know, I I guess I'm I'm not, uh, I don't know. know, You want to call it sociable or whatever. I kind of like to keep to myself. So, you know, she's been after me. You know, time after time, you know, you got to do more of this. So, I, and I'm enjoying it, man. You know, you know, once I get into it, I really enjoy it. So, I'll, I'll, I'll see what that's about. I,
1: shouldn't have thrown that at you like that, but I did that's see that. That's okay. That's okay. Hey, uh, who's who's the better drummer? Yeah,
2: that's
0: what I was gonna ask. Wait, between, yeah, uh, I got three. I, I do. T- well, I have three, including him. Yes. Okay. 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 Uh-huh.
1: Is it, yeah, Michael Herklotz. Yes. You've got Nick yeah. Perdomo and yourself. Like right, who? Yeah. Who's the better drummer?
2: Well, I haven't played drums in a year, <laughs> but I can almost attest that I was the best. All right. <laughs> I mean, I come on. Like, I like that. <laughs> what? No, I haven't played drums really. I haven't played drums since I was what uh, thirty-five or something like that. Mm.
1: Do you, Do you still do you so still, it, do you still uh, have a a little bit of a longing for it or?
2: you know, I love listening to music and, uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes uh, I do have my, my, my original drum set, which is about, it's a Gretsch, uh, uh, Maplewood. And that thing's got to be about uh, 40 years. And, uh, you know, I keep, you know, I keep, uh, thinking about setting it up in the office and, you know, going there and play. And, uh, but I love listening to music, you know, nowadays, when you hear some of the drummers that are out there, I mean, it's it's just exciting. You know what's happening with uh, with music in general. Yeah. So.
1: Nah, we'd love to. We'd love to hear uh, you guys have a drum off at some point. That would be incredible, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, listen,
2: Nick. I haven't heard Nick, and I haven't heard uh, Michael play. But I understand they're very very good. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. But uh, there's a lot of good musicians playing. in I mean, the cigar industry. Like, with, with what I do? You know, I mean, you know. For, yeah, there
0: are. For whatever reason, they're and all drummers. There are drummers, a lot of cigar that are musicians also. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. and there's a lot of good musicians that smoke cigars also. I understand.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: So, so hey, Ernesto, we can't thank you mm-hmm. enough for taking the time on a Friday night to join us all the way from the Dominican Republic, no less. Uh, you've had a incredible yes. career, and it just seems like you just have more tricks up your sleeve. We can't even. There's there's nothing more annoying, I think, than when a uh, a cigar interviewer says what's next, right, when you've just had, you know, the number one cigar of the year, and they're like, oh, well, what's next? Well, gee, I just had the, the pledge. But <laughs> I, I, just, yeah. I, I just feel like you, you still have a lot of tricks up your sleeve. There's, there's a lot more left in you that you're going to share with the cigar enthusiasts over the next few years.
2: Well, for sure. You know, this is, I mean, we had the number one cigar of the year. You know, we've had, uh, you know, a lot of success with it. Uh, but, you know, next year there will be another number one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. so, so, I mean, it's that, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, you have to keep, you have to keep, you know, I think this is one of the things that makes this industry so, uh, you know, so, uh, great because, you know, there's always a lot of people out there, you know, coming out with new things, you know, with new tobaccos. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we're working on something that, uh, I just came up on this, this, and I don't want to get into it too much because, Top secret. Let's wait for next. Let's wait. Yeah, let's wait for <laughs> next week. Okay. I'm also. I'm also looking forward to, um, uh, you know, making in the future, making more. Uh, you know, uh, Dominican blends. Uh, there's a lot of great Dominican tobaccos on here. And as a matter of fact, I was visiting, uh, and he was showing me the different seeds that they're growing. Man, it's it's impressive what's happening down here. So you know, I'm looking to make uh, maybe someday make a, a Dominican puro in that type of stuff. So I'm really, uh, I'm really, you know, it just, it, it, you know, it just, it's just exciting what's happening in the industry now, you know, especially, you know, with the tobaccos that are being grown that are, you know, in different areas that uh, I think in the, you know, in the coming years, people are going to have really uh, nice experiences with things that are, you know, that are out there.
0: Now, this brings up one, I don't know if it's too late in the show to ask this, but I, I got to get the same. Listen
2: I, listen, I have nothing to do here. Joe, okay. Go for another hour, so <laughs> now, I'm
0: cool. from my perspective, looking at your blends, mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that you're a Dominican factory, mm-hmm. but it seems to me that the core of most of your blends is Nicaraguan tobacco. Right. That, that, that's interesting because, you know, usually as a Dominican factory, most of your stuff is going to be based on Dominican tobacco but you seem, right. now correct me if I'm wrong, you seem to base yeah. most of your cigars on Nicaraguan tobacco. Right,
2: and, and, you know, I think that's a decision I made from the beginning, and the reason was, you know, if if I would have come and, you know, if if I would have, when I started 2009, I could have done a couple of things. You know, I could have basically, you know, copied La Gloria Cubana or the CBR, and I don't think that would have been, you know, uh, fair to uh, General Cigar because, you know, those people treated him like, like gold. And I said to me, I said to myself, if I come out with another, you know, Dominican cigar, uh, you know, how am I going to compete with Fuentes, you know, with La Flor, with uh, Macanudo, with, uh, you know, Altaris, you know, with Davido. So this is why I went a whole different direction. Mm. And, you know, when, I fir- when we first came out, you know, people were disappointed because they said, well, we-, we were expecting another Gloria Cubana. And I said, well, if that was the case, I would have never left general because, you know, I could have retired there, I, I guess, if I wanted to. So, you know, this was not the, the plan. The plan was originally to make private labels. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, at that time, I remember Rocky and, and, and Alan Rubin, you know, they spoke to me and they said, you know, if you need production, man, you know, you know we're there for you and uh, that, that's when the kids came in and said no let's do our own stuff and this is basically what happened and, and it's funny because you know now we make uh, we make uh, the gatekeeper for Alec uh Bradley you know right. uh, rubens's kid so that was kind of the thing you know i wanted to again i don't want, i didn't just want to be a a, a a another dominican cigar you know when you have such great dominican cigars now so this is why i went the, the other way and and did the uh, you know Uh, started using more of the uh, Nicaraguan tobacco. But, you know, the funny thing is that, that for instance, the Inch, which is, you know, probably right now probably our, I have to say, our fourth since the pledge is is on board now. uh, That's basically 80% Dominican, you know? Okay. So.
1: All right, my man. Well, uh, we can't thank you enough for taking the time on Friday night to join us on the show. I know everybody enjoyed the show. A lot of, uh, tons of comments. Everybody's having a great time. Ernesto, Congratulations on a, just a fantastic year and a, actually a fantastic, you know, few years. Congratulations.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you. And listen, you know, I, I, I admire, I appreciate what you guys do for the industry because, you know, if it wasn't like, you know, your shows uh, and, and you know, the people that, uh, you know, maybe are not manufacturers or, 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 or are necessarily retailers or whatever. But, you know, we need this. We need this like, you know, Cigar Dojo and, and you know, Coop, and you know, all the other guys that do these things, and uh, it, it really makes it, it really makes it gives us a big push. Let's put it like that.
1: Oh, well, that's fantastic, so, appreciate
2: uh, it, appreciate it. All
1: right, guys, uh, Wednesday night on uh, Flavor Odyssey, we will be speaking of Alec and Bradley, uh, oh. we, we will be pairing the Alec and Bradley Kintsugi with a hazy IPA, so we're going to see how the fruity components of the hazy IPA uh, pair with the Konsugi from Alec and Bradley, and then a week from tonight on Smoke Night Live we'll have Cigar Vixen on, so we'll be catching up with her, see what she's up to right now. Uh, she's one of the, um, uh, the the women in the cigar media industry that I think does a really, really good job of uh you know like understanding the cigar business and giving uh good reviews and youtube videos So we'll be catching up with her uh as well on the dojo verse tonight check into your cigars do some now playing we'll have some fun all night long on the dojo verse uh, if you've never been to the dojo verse go to uh, dojoverse.com and you can check into all of the epc career cigars on the dojo verse if you want to Check them out. It'll be a good time. Until next week, remember, never, never smoke, smoke alone. alone. We'll see you guys next week.
0: <laughs> Is it fast? Oh, it's fast. What about the options? What about the options? It's got all the options. But, like, what about price? It's got to be expensive. Not expensive at all, man. Jared's got the greatest deals on cigars and accessories. Check it out. Oh, wow. Look at these. Oh, look at that deal. It's a good price. What are you guys doing in my car? Your car? I thought this was your car. I thought it was your car. Why would it be my car? I don't know. It's not again. We'll get out, but I'm taking this with a JR on the go. No matter whose car you're in, JR Cigar is there for you.